Andino Andina. The story continues. It didn't take long for the floodgates to burst open. Don't be so damn sensitive about everything. This particular voice came from a long time ago, and yet it was as loud and fresh as ever in my mind. Not for the first time it made me wonder, what do you mean, don't be so sensitive? As if it was some kind of choice and not built into the very fabric of who I was. A highly sensitive person is born with a nervous system that is set to always take things in at a deeper level. It's a trait like any other. In the next scene, I was back at school. A girl I didn't know, her eyes red and puffy from crying, was trying to say no to our friends about going to watch the boys' football team play a match. In an instant, I knew she'd broken up with one of the team because he cheated on her. Could others not feel anything? They were friends, after all. How come they completely failed to notice all the cues? I knew what they were trying to do, but how could they fail to see that it was just too much to ask of her too soon? To go through the world totally ignorant of what those around you were going through, oblivious to others' pain and needs, that, to me, was incomprehensible. And at least I was aware of making that judgment. How could you not notice the sad eyes and the strained smile of a friend trying not to cry in front of others and hold back whatever emotion was fighting to get out? Not knowing what to say or how to broach the subject, fair enough, but to just not see and cut them some slack. I observed a small part of me envied them. What a relief to only feel your own stuff and not get socked by random crap floating around. I sighed. I had more than enough to deal with my own sensitivity and being repeatedly bruised by the world around me, no matter how unintentional. It suddenly occurred to me. To some, sensitive was a verb. Some kind of temporary focused awareness. To me, and others like me, he was part of who we were something I could not separate from myself any more than I could order my body to suddenly grow hair differently, change the color or texture of my skin. I periodically despised what I considered a shameful weakness in my physiology, deeming it a hindrance to push through in order to teach my weak body a lesson, as if it were a weak muscle that would develop and become stronger given some punishing exercise. Self-punishment instead of self-care, it is counterproductive, I know, but I can't help it. I get so frustrated. All by holding myself to the same standard of stamina I see in hardier people. For years I wondered how others did it, and what was wrong with me. I marveled at how others kept up with clubs and activities, and later going out socialising, while I dragged myself home at the end of each day spent and unfulfilled at the same time. Some in my class even claimed to rest during the week to be ready for the weekend. I desperately needed that time to recuperate. At school, I'd stay as far away from the mayhem as I could, spend a few minutes holding the world at bay in a booth in the girls' bathroom or any other space I could find, create my own little bubble with headphones and carefully chosen music in a corner of the common room, 
the school's counsellor, on my one and only visit. Disdainfully called me an easily overwhelmed introvert. Her general verdict was that I wasn't making enough of an effort to come out of my shell by joining more after-hours activities, and that I needed to toughen up or be toughened up. She made it sound so much like an insult, my inner simply rebelled. I knew nothing about introversion at the time, or high sensitivity, and I don't think she did either. While I don't recall the exact words she used, she made it sound like some kind of mental disorder to be cured by following a strict regime of instructions and never to give in to it. To what wasn't made clear. The essence I caught was, children need to be made into useful bricks for society, because it's a jungle out there. She seemed convinced of some stupid notion that schools are those brick factories to turn out generic young adults. The adult in me wondered if she perhaps had only done one of those short, inadequate courses I too had seen advertised and got the position as a counsellor through connections. Why would a financially stretched school district employ a professional to deal with the everyday little problems hardy adults can't even perceive adolescents to have? Thankfully, the world is learning. Sensitivity is not a disease, and neither is introversion. It's just inconvenient for those who would prefer to live in a world where we were all wired the same way. Not back then, however. I so wished I'd had the guts to tell her to shut up. I could feel all I wanted to express rising up, but the words would not come. Her condescending manner and poorly concealed impatience was obvious to me, but I couldn't bring myself to interrupt. I'd been brought up not to, and to wait for a break in the conversation instead of talking over others. My body, in its own infinite wisdom, decided to do the interrupting. It chose that moment for an irrepressible wave of nausea, and I vomited in the conveniently placed wastebasket. It worked. It sent her into panic mode before she stopped and shoved some tissues at me and a plastic mug of water, and freaking out about taking me to the school nurse. We were almost out of the allotted hour by then, and I suspect she just wanted me out of her office in case of a repeat performance. The pen she'd used to make notes, of what is anyone's guess, since up till that point I'd hardly said a word. Just listen politely. Impatiently tapped the notepad. Once I started talking, it was a torrent I couldn't stop. It had all built up, and now it was coming out. So instead I tried to hurry up, speaking ever faster but not too loud, as I didn't want whoever was outside in the corridor to overhear. I didn't want any more spiders in my locker. At the same time, a part of me wanted to scream to the whole world, make it sit up and listen, and preferably also take notes. I wasn't quite sure what was wrong, but I knew this much. No one else did either. People just pretended to. The most confident and convincing ones had their way. What you really needed back then was a cat person. Pelucha had come over to sit next to me on the couch. Cat people know how to listen, and they have sharp claws if something needs doing about demanding attention. Very true, I chuckled. As you can now tell, 
It was not about lack of confidence. It was a deep-seated need to be heard, Pellucci pointed out. I agreed. And let's not forget the times humans hold back out of fear of repercussions, or to spare another's feelings. Because the truth is not convenient for social interactions, very few really wants to know how you're feeling, or because they do not agree with their own opinion. And this is why cats don't talk to many humans. If you can't be bothered to listen, why should I waste my time talking to you? Oh, you know I love talking with you. I do. And I listen even when I sleep, he said. Carry on. I ran my fingers through the plush soft fur a few times before letting my hand rest on his sleeping form. The school's counsellor back then, her way of delivering her professional assessment of me, had felt like branding, as if I was defective, which I knew in my heart of hearts was not true. My words to her about what I saw in the world and at school came from observation in students and in teachers. If you felt all of that and could not verify it, you would not harp on about overwhelm. You would not treat me as if I was a silly little girl for the world of adults to patronize, just because I have no choice but to listen to you. And even if it was... <sighs> what I wanted to say was, how dare you? But I couldn't. My inner censor had caught up with my runaway mouth and clamped an invisible hand over it to mute me once more. Jeopardizing my own future by an unfavorable report by a school counselor who judged me flawed and lacking would not help me get to university, or so I believed. The brakes had slammed back on. It was a wonder I didn't give myself whiplash or a concussion. I fled out of the office and slammed the door behind me. I ran down the corridor, then another. Like a rogue pinball, I pushed anyone who tried to stop me out of the way, and I didn't stop until I was clear of the school premises. I'd left my jacket and messenger bag behind, but that wasn't why I was shaking, even though it was cold. Thoughts, memories, and other impressions raced around my head and body. Eventually I managed to calm down, using what observation had taught me. People rarely listen to what they don't want to hear even when paid to do so. The counsellor's vacant glare and pen-twiddling gave it away. That did not mean I was in the clear. Not that I didn't stand by what I'd said. I just didn't want to be marked weak and defective. I walked for hours, analysing and overthinking and replaying everything over and over in my mind. Not for the first time, observing the lack of spaces safe places for people to just be if one didn't have the money to rent a seat in a cafe for a while. I craved solitude and privacy to gather my wits around me. I passed cold and wet park benches populated by older teens or drunk and leering men. The latter looked none too clean and shouted after my freezing self as I hurried past. Offers of hugs and even a swig of alcohol for a kiss or a quick grope scared me. The school uniform declaring me a minor did nothing to make me feel safe, just more vulnerable. Nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. 
At last I found an almost empty cafe I'd never noticed before, and with a change from my lunch money and bus fare, bought myself a cup of tea. For whatever reason, I had not expected the school phoning my parents. When I at last made my way back home, they were naturally worried and upset. Their anger reignited mine. When my mother heard about it, she wanted me to apologize. I refused. Dad said I didn't have to. I said, if that woman apologizes, I might. Just because I was not of age, instead of an adult paid to be at school, I was automatically the one at fault. Because I was young, I had to apologize. In the middle of the slinging match, my sister Caroline came home and with a teenager's well-practiced sneer, declared that Jack was having another drama queen moment. Uncharacteristically harsh, Dad told her to stay out of it and go to her room, which she did, but not before pulling a face at me, gleefully miming, You're in trouble now, and stomping all the way up the stairs. Exhaustion soon claimed me as adrenaline only lasts for so long. Even ascending the stairs was too much. I collapsed on a chair and pointed out once more, to a hopefully more attentive audience, how very wrong it was that there were no safe places for young people to go when we'd had enough. No place to recharge. Not at school, not outside of it. Not unless you counted the toilets, and they were never clean even halfway through the morning. Cleanliness aside, the stores couldn't really facilitate much for someone in need of space for a moment's peace and quiet. Not even the library was quiet or felt safe anymore. There were always bored youngsters mucking about, and the part-time librarian had long since given up hushing anyone, unless books were under direct threat from sugary drinks or sticky snacks smuggled in by peckish kids. Not a place to just be or cry. I never was particularly good at pretending to be working, or some such, when I was falling apart. In the living room, nerves were fraying all around. I don't care! You should have stayed at school! Goodness knows what could have happened! Mother bellowed. You should have told a teacher or someone. You're not listening! I countered. Everything in this damn world is made to fit groups or noisy interactions. There's nowhere to go unless you get out and find a quiet cafe somewhere and buy yourself a sit-down. At least if you're an adult you can buy a car and go and sit in that and lock the doors. She's got a point, you know, Dad remarked. I know she does, but does she have to be so damn difficult, so damn sensitive about everything all the time? My mother shouted, exasperated. Just for once, Jacqueline! Just fucking get on with it like a normal teenager. You could have heard a pin drop, even though the floor was carpeted. A guttural sound broke the silence. My mother, redder in the face than I had ever seen her, eyes mortified. I'm so sorry, Jacqueline, I didn't mean it like that, came her strangled voice. I didn't mean it like that. Sure you didn't, I thought. I'd had enough for one day. Or perhaps it was primal self-defense. The one who had brought me into this world had rejected me as faulty. The one person who should have had my back no matter what had just joined the opposing team. 
To my young, upset self, it was the final straw. The cruel in me won, not that there was much of a fight. I was tired of this. The cumulative effect of putting up with and swallowing the hurts caught up with me. Yes, you did, I said between clenched teeth, looking straight into my mother's horror-stricken eyes and flushed face. From somewhere came the strength to stand and walk into the hallway. I grabbed my weekend jacket, first off the hook on the coat tree, then wrenched it out of my mother's grasping hands as she tried to stop me. Your freak of a daughter is going out, I said, sounding quite calm. Truth was, I didn't have the energy left to shout. I felt out of breath and light-headed. I could not stand another minute in my cocoon of a room next to my sister's, listening to her playing her critically acclaimed pop on her portable stereo at top volume. If I had stopped to think, it would have surprised me that she wasn't listening in to collect ammo for later, but chose to drown out the scene downstairs instead. Dad hauled my mother back into the kitchen. Wait for me, he shouted. I didn't. I hadn't got very far when Dad's car slowed down next to me. The electric window slid down smoothly. Please, Jack, get in the car. You're in no fit state to go anywhere. Let's go for a drive. Get something to eat. I bet you had nothing all day. I was too tired to argue. In silence, he drove us to a small French restaurant I'd never seen before, with bored-looking waiters and red-checked tablecloths. We sat down, and he ordered for me as I was too spent to think. He was right, though. I'd had nothing to eat since breakfast. As he took my hand across the small table, he caught the waitress, giving us a dirty look. She's my daughter, all right? You got a problem with that? He said, loud enough for all to hear. Even in the cosmopolitan and tolerant London, I realised how he must look from an outsider's point of view, if their mind was soiled enough. Me in my still crumpled school uniform, Dad in his jeans and black polo neck shirt. I shrank down in my chair for a moment at the unexpected outburst, then sat up straight and stared down the nearest onlooker. I turned back to Dad and forced a smile. Merci, Papa, I said. Eat, he said, as the mussel soup chose that moment to arrive at our table, steaming hot and scenting the air with garlic, parsley and butter. As if to authenticate ourselves, we continued speaking in French. A waiter demurely brought over a tray carrying a glass of wine and a bottle of mineral water. Sorry I can't let you have any of the wine, Dad said with a sad smile. Eat, because after you are going to tell me what the hell happened today in your own words, and I promise not to interrupt you. Deal? Deal. If I hadn't had my dad's love and acceptance, then, and in general growing up, I don't know what would have become of me. Another statistic, perhaps. During the drive home, he said, just get through it, meaning the education system. Then you can do what you choose after. Being an adult can be, and often is, hard, but sometimes I think being a child, or at least underage, is even harder. You so often feel powerless, and you can feel helpless even when you're not. 
Teachers are just people too, with hurts and wounds, and they judge and have favours and dislikes, just like everyone else in the world. Only theirs can be a bit more damaging and far-reaching than those of a stranger or co-worker. Some manage to rise above it, and I'd like to believe most try, but there are always those who should never have gone into this profession at all. There will be times when someone's personality, or perhaps looks, remind you of someone you didn't like or who hurt you. And sometimes the past will get the better of you, and you allow your dislikes to colour your assessment of a student's work or abilities. Or you're tired and got shit going on in your own life. Right now, a colleague of mine is going through a messy divorce. Another is worried about a parent developing Alzheimer's and needing more care and supervision than they feel able to give. You can't escape that sometimes other unrelated things are going to cloud your ability to see clearly, especially if you're tired. Or always hung over, I added in my head, thinking of one of my teachers. And some are just plain nasty or ignorant, just like the rest of the population everywhere else in the world. A teacher's opinion may or may not be balanced and informed, but it is just that, another opinion, as seen through their filters and life experiences. Unfortunately, at times it weighs a bit heavier than justified. I took a deep, shuddering breath and reeled my mind back to the here and now. Peluche stretched and yawned at me. Not easy being a human cat. You could say that. Not easy being a lot of things, including a cat. I know. Until you came along. Then it got easier. He flipped onto his back and then the other side, his head touching my thigh. You're a sweetie. I said, rubbing his soft, fluffy belly. Later, I'm going back to sleep. I downed the remainder of my now-cold coffee and stared out the window. From where I was sitting, I could only see the milky blue sky and vague layers of clouds in shades of grey. Very different to the, for the most part, clear blue of the Costa Maya. I thought of our little house in Rancho Viejo and wondered... How long before we'd be going back? Our little home. Strange how we end up where we do. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Andino Andina is written, read, edited and produced by me. Copyright Liz Rosales, 2014 and 2021.